Well, greetings in the Master's name this morning, and you can open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes. Did, did um, Solomon know the wonderful words of life? He was the wisest man, the wisest man that ever lived, and we read Ecclesiastes, and uh, reading through my Bible this year, that's kind of where I am, and I just... Uh, well, uh, for several reasons, some reasons I thought it'd be good just to remind us of the of, of some of Solomon's observations, and uh, it's a kind of a uh, would you say? Not, I don't know if you'd say depressing, but discouraging or not a very encouraging book, uh, and especially coming from the wisest man that ever lived. In, in 2 Chronicles 1.12, it says, Wisdom and knowledge is granted unto thee, and I will give thee riches. This is God speaking, and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have, have had that have been before thee, neither shall there any after thee have the like. And so there it is. It's just said that nobody before or after him ever had the capability that Solomon had. And uh, now it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I don't think it's necessarily talking about that. It's just that Solomon had a lot of discernment. He had a lot of ability. He had he, he had the highest IQ of anybody that ever lived, besides maybe Adam before the fall. But uh, so okay, so let's just okay, let's read the first thirteen verses. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem: Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I mean, that's quite the way to start out, isn't it? What profit? What profit hath the man of all his labor which he taketh unto the sun? Y'all work pretty hard, don't you? And I mean, what what's the point? Well, you gain. Solomon said, it's vanity. And here's why. One generation passeth away, another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. The sun also riseth, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to its place where he arose. The wind goeth toward the south and turneth about into the north. It whirls about continually, and the wind returneth again according to the circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done. And There is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new? It has been already of old time, which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. So he says things just come and go and just keep on repeating themselves, and it's kind of a meaningless cycle. Now, verses 6 and 7, I've often marveled or thought that that's the most concise description scientifically that you can have of the wind cycles you know, like if you look at a picture of the of the wind currents around the globe, you've got the equator, and then you've got how the wind turns. Well, the equator it rises, and then as it goes north, it gets cold and it falls. So you got that cycle. Then you got one above that. It turns the other way, I think, and then the one at the top at the North Pole, it it turns the other way. So it's kind of like three cogs, and then you got three of them in the south, too. South equator. So six of those major. Uh, and they talk about, the sailors used to talk about the uh, doldrums and um, different kinds of breezes and so on. And it had to do with those major cycles. And, uh, and, and so here it was in one verse, it describes it. 
And then the second, the seventh verse, I mean, verse seven is the, the water cycle. And we study that in science too, the water cycle, how, you know, there's evaporation and, and then the cloud, the sun pulls it up from the ocean, you know, or ponds, rivers, whatever, but the ocean and, and, and then falls and runs again. So the water cycle. And so here it is all described in one, one verse, 25 words. And so I thought that's pretty marvelous, but that's not Solomon's point. Solomon's point is it just goes over and over, same old thing, nothing new. And, uh, and then he says, you know, the eye's not going to be satisfied with seeing. You can never be satisfied. The ear filled with hearing. And uh, there's nothing new under the sun. And people can say, oh, well, sh well, computers, are they new under the sun? Well, the specific technology and so on, but just the way man functions and civilizations rise and fall. And is history cyclical, cyclical? And I actually looked that up to see what would be said about it. And it's a philosophical thing, whether history is cyclical or linear. And, and in, in many ways it is. Things just repeat themselves over and over. Man's ways. But it's linear in the sense that God is taking things to a conclusion. And uh, so, so I would say more so it's linear than cyclical. But Solomon says, yeah, life just seems so pointless because, yeah, when you're dead and gone, who's going to remember you and what you did? I mean, you'd have to be a pretty famous person after four generations. They're uh, going to forget, forget about you. Uh, well, now we have our family genealogy and stuff, and we can fill in the chart, but I mean, after all, what do you remember about your great-granddaddy? Um, so when you're dead and gone, I mean, it's... But, but that's life under the sun. And that, that expression, that expression is very interesting to me. Under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. He says that over and over, under the sun, under the sun. And you see, we, we have life over the sun. That's what gives life meaning. Over the sun, we're looking at eternity. We're looking at things beyond the natural. And anyway, but, but, but I mean, Solomon actually, and to me, people like, um, whether it's college students or whether it's other people, and they just basically cop out. There's very little meaning to life and so on. And basically, they're right. If, there's, if, if you don't, if you honestly look at life, and you don't accept this revelation, and you just kind of life is rather pointless if if you don't have if you're not living by this. And a person can, and then of course people they try and find fulfillment in various ways, and it's going to all it's not going to work unless it's based here. Okay, then in chapter two, verse four, Solomon accomplished. You talk about. Okay, so uh, um, a person who has uh, studied agriculture all his life and he's learned all this stuff, and he's and you know when somebody dies, all their knowledge dies with them. Like, like okay, Harry Brunk and his wife, they put together a heat history that books about that thick, and they say she, his wife knew so many connections about everybody here in the valley and so on, and it was a tremendous help to him. And he was a historian. And okay, well, they're dead and gone. That knowledge is all gone. My, my mother, she knew a lot of stuff that I don't know about genealogies and stuff. And I don't know that stuff. And she's gone. And, and a person might be a, a tradesman, you know, and they just so skilled. They know how to do things that somebody else just, 
They just can't do it that way. They just don't have that skill. When they die, it's gone. Uh, but Solomon, Solomon, when it came ability to do things, look what he did. I made me great works. I built me houses. Okay, he built me houses. And you can go back to, uh, I don't know. Yeah, actually, it was, it's kind of interesting to read that. If you go back to 1 Kings 7, he said, I built me houses, and he sure did. First uh, Kings seven, um, talking about I think it's his house, the palace. Uh, first thirteen verses, yeah. Solomon's building his own house thirteen years. So, let's see, Dave, did you ever build a house? Did you ever build a house? Take you thirteen years. Solomon's wiser than you. How come it take him so long? Huh? It's a lot bigger. Oh, it's bigger. Okay. Um, yeah, some of the people in West Virginia, I'm sure it took them 13 years because they'd build a little part, and, you know, they live in that until they got a little more money, and they built another room on and so on, and that's, that's a, a way to do it too. But anyway, Solomon's building his own house 13 years, and he finished all his house. He built also the house of the forest of Lebanon. The length there was 100 cubits. See, that'd be uh, 100, 100, 150 feet, and the breadth 50 cubits, 75, the height 30, 45. Okay, upon four rows of cedar pillars with cedar beams upon the pillars, and it was covered with cedar above upon the beams that lay on 45 pillars, 15 in a row. And there were windows in three rows, and light was against light in three ranks, and all the doors and posts were square with the windows, and light was against light in three ranks. And he made a porch of pillars. The length thereof was 50 cubits, and the breadth thereof 30 cubits, and the porch was before them. And the other pillars in the thick beam were before them. Then he made a porch for the throne where he might judge, even the porch of judgment. And it was covered with cedar from one side of the floor to the other. And his house where he dwelt had another court within the porch, which was of the like work. Solomon made also a house for Pharaoh's daughter, whom he had taken to wife, like unto this porch. All these were of costly stones, according to the measures of huge stones, sawed with saws, within and without, even from the foundation to the coping. And so on the outside toward the great court. The foundation was of costly stones, even great stones, stones of ten cubits and stones of eight cubits. And above were costly stones after the measures of huge stones and cedars. And the great court round about was with three rows of huge stones and a row of cedar beams, both for the inner court of the house of the Lord and for the porch of the house. And King Solomon sent fast time out of tire. Okay, I'll stop there. Well, he, he built houses all right. Well, now let's go back to Ecclesiastes. So, yeah, he, uh, his house is a little, a little more elaborate than the one Dave built. Okay, um, and so I made me great works. I built me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. Uh, ben Martin's been bringing peaches to CLP to sell. He's got a hundred peach trees now. I don't know when did he plant them trees, but anyway, he's got a hundred peach trees and uh, and he's got Freestone Red Haven. And uh, but I, I'm sure his doesn't compare anything to Solomon's. I'm sure of that. I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kind of fruits. I made me pools of water. And I wonder what his irrigation system was like. There's this book called Brilliant, and it's a, it's a, it's a really a, a good buy if you're interested in that sort of thing. It's a hardbound. It's like almost like a coffee table book, and it only costs 12 bucks. But it talks about uh, amazing things in the past that people did. And just one I remember, there's like, like there's underground irrigation channels in Iraq, 
that are 2,000 years old that they're still using. That's just one example, and it's full of examples like that. And, and it's, it's titled Brilliant, and it's about brilliant things that people did in the past. But none of them was as brilliant as what Solomon did. And so I wonder what his irrigation system was like. But anyway, he says, I made me, I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. You know, people have their their cattle and they have their genetics and and uh, and they build their herds and and it, it wasn't still wasn't as I'm sure it wasn't as good as what Solomon did. I mean, Solomon he had it right. Okay, and I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and the province. He says I gathered silver and gold and you know what it says in Kings? It says the king made silver to be in Jerusalem as stones. And cedars made he to be as a sycamore trees that are in the vale. So gold and silver, and told how many tons of gold and how many tons of silver came to him every year. At least gold, I know it says. And uh, and so yeah, he he uh, he gathered silver and gold and the peculiar trees of kings in the province. I got me men singers and women singers, and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. I mean, he had a choir. He had he had the choir that's better than than Oasis or better than the uh, the music came. And he had an orchestra too, and and he probably had music, he probably had instruments in there that that's better than the Stradivarius violins. Uh, he had it, and so then what does he say? Well, he he says he says it was all vanity and vexation of spirit. Well, let's just skip a bunch. Let's go over to chapter seven. I mean, Solomon, after all that, and he said, vanity, vanity is all vanity. And so, if you just take an honest look at that, I mean, what is the point? What is the point? If you look at life in its total scope, and you know, he says, <clears throat> He says, <clears throat> person that does all this, and even if he does have a whole pile of, even has a really great estate, you know, when he dies, it's going to go to somebody else, and they maybe aren't going to take care of it. And he says, that's a frustration too. So what's the point? Well, we know what the point is, but, and uh, this is not answering the point, but it does, it is an interesting observation here in, in chapter 7. In verse 2, he says, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. So we don't expect anybody to die this week that we know, Suppose I don't suppose, but uh, in other words, would it be better to go to a viewing on Thursday evening or go to Philip's cookout? Um, it says here it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men. Now, what's the end of all men? Well, you're viewing. That's what's the end of all men. Um and the living will lay it to heart, to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. Would you rather be sorrow? Would you rather be sorrowful, or would you rather be cheerful? He says sorrow. Now, is this part of his uh, 
is this part of his under the sun view or is this is this a part of his wise observations Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. And I think, well, let's see, what else does he say? The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool, and this also is vanity. So just... Just a high old time isn't as good for you as some sober reality. And so we think about, when we think about the end of life, it uh, puts some seriousness to it. And we, I think we grow more spiritually in hard times than we do in easy times. It's not like, it's not like we can't grow when things are going well, but when tough times come, it, uh, it's like I was telling class about this Corey Dixon, and uh, as near as I could understand, he had some charges against him when he was a young fellow in this area. He grew up around uh, Roanoke, but he was around here, and I don't know if it was drug charges or what. But anyway, then he had moved on to south, south North Carolina, Georgia somewhere, and evidently they didn't think his charges were worth coming after him because you got to go get him, you got to bring him out, go through all the court stuff, and sometimes they just let it go. And, and that was 2007. And so then uh, whatever his life journey is, he's 30 couple years old now, I think, but he was evidently wanting to uh, do better as far as his relationship with God and the Lord. And he was praying that the Lord would help him to grow. And he said two days after he prayed that prayer, they came and picked him up, brought him up here and put him in jail for those 2007 warrants. And uh, so... If I understood him right, he's taking it okay and 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 seeing it as an opportunity to really study his Bible and 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 grow. And so this time of um, I don't know if you call it time of mourning, but a time of difficulty is more of a growing experience for him than. I mean, he said he had a job. He's got a girlfriend that he says is on the right track, and she's a nice girl, and his family likes her, and he wants to get married, and and everything seemed to be going good down there, and then they come pick him up. Uh, well, uh, but anyway, we at least can understand that the things in life that, cause us to look at life seriously is better than just a how old time uh, like it talks about in verses 5 and 6. Song of fools, crackling of thorns, and so on. Well then in verse 19, 
He says, Wisdom strengtheneth the wise more than ten mighty men which, which are in the city. So there he's talking about wisdom, and I think maybe he is talking about the uh, true wisdom there. And, of course, we know the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. The fear of the Lord is a respect, a reverence, a standing in awe of what God has said, an acceptance of what God has said. That is the fear of God and living accordingly. And it goes right along with the rest of that verse in Psalm 111.10 says, A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. And that's really what I, uh, that's really what I desire and long for with, you know, some of the, some of the connections we've made and so on. If people would realize that that um, to understand life and to, yeah, to understand life, to have a true perspective, wisdom on things is to accept what God has said and to live by his commandments. Now, you know, there's another side to that too. We cannot do what we, we cannot, we cannot live holy lives in our own strength. And so that's where faith and accepting the grace and the power of God. But we still have to start with a, an acceptance, a reverence, uh, acknowledgement that what God has said is how I need to align my life. And, uh, and then it says, then ten mighty men which were in the city. And it talks, uh, the scripture talks about uh, how man's strength or horse's strength and so on isn't what we can depend on. Um, and of course we know as far as... Uh, respect for God's ways and accepting what he has said is the way to truth. And, you know, I was thinking about that in relation to Solomon, too. The kings, and I didn't look up the, uh, I didn't look up the passage, it's probably in Deuteronomy somewhere, where the king was, every, every new king in Israel was supposed to make a, a copy out for himself the law, and have his own personal copy. And I don't know how much that was, if that was the whole five books. Uh, the, the Pentateuch is the five books of Moses, and that would have been a good bit to copy out. Maybe they didn't have that much. I don't know what it involved. But Solomon was supposed to have that, and it gave directions for the king. It gave directions to how to live. And so... He did not order his life according to that. So did he have a fear of God? Well, he started out right. And that's, a, that's a, a good lesson for us, too. We can't let down our guard. We can't coast. Uh, we have to continue living in that fear of God and that respect for his commandments uh, as we go on. Now, I did, okay, at the end of chapter 7, that's kind of where I want to stop. Um, 
he says in verse 25, I applied my heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things and to know the wickedness of folly, even the foolishness and madness. And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets and her hands as bands. Whoso pleases God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. Behold, this have I found, saith the preacher, counting one by one to find out the account. Let's see, Genetica, Genica said she can count to ten now. But this says counting one by one to find out the account which yet my soul seeketh, but I find not one, I find not. One man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among all those have I not found. Lo, this only have I found, that God has made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. So his experiences with men uh, and women were not the most positive, or maybe he just saw men as they are, but he said, I found one man among a thousand. He said, I, I, didn't, I didn't find one woman among a thousand. <laughs> it kind of makes you... Think, you know, he had 300 wives and 700 concubines. There's his thousand. And I can see why uh, he can he can say what he said because I'm not all the palace intrigue and so on. But uh, more likely, he's not going to find one among a thousand if he just had one. Um, but um, in, in today's climate, that's what people face. I, you know, we, we got so much to be thankful for. I mean, people out in the world... Uh, that, that's something they grapple with. How do I know this man's going to be faithful to me? How do I know this woman's going to be faithful to me? And they got reasons to wonder. And so when we're when we're being led by God and and we're committed to God and we're working with people that are committed to God, we can have confidence. We can have hope. Well, the conclusion of the book, of course, we're familiar with that. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And so, again, respect for God, respect for his word. And, of course, um, our Sunday school lessons now are on the Sermon on the Mount. But all through the New Testament, um, a fear God and keep his commandments is that is that the duty of man now well I think it is from a New Testament sense we still have a we, we have to have that reverence and respect for God and what he said there's a balance between there's a balance between um, just resting in the grace of God and and exercise and discipline in our own life. I, I don't preach too much about our own personal disciplines. I have a book by V. Raymond Edmond on the disciplines of life. It's got 20 disciplines in there. Uh, so it does take discipline. It does take commitment. Uh, and we can't coast. Uh, so to fear God and keep his commandments uh, is our duty. Uh, we can never live good enough to please God but we do need to live in that respect for what God has said, acceptance of what God has said, and order our life accordingly. And then we have purpose. There's a commentary, well, not a commentary, it's a little booklet on the book of Ecclesiastes by uh, William MacDonald, and it's called Chasing the Wind. 
Anybody that pursues life just without that over-the-sun view, without that over-the-sun purpose, um, it's going to be futile. It's going to be futility. I'm so thankful that, that, uh, that there is meaning, that there is meaning in life, that God has called us to be his children. And whatever we do, uh, because we're his children and we're in his kingdom, uh, our life has meaning. And it, it doesn't, it doesn't, and that meaning doesn't. And that meaning does not depend on my accomplishments. My life is meaningful because I'm a child of his and I'm walking with him and I may fail or I may not ever amount to all that much in man's eyes, but if I'm a child of God, my life has meaning. And that's pretty comforting to me. Well, let's kneel for prayer.